Welcome to PedsCast, a podcast brought to you by Children's of Alabama. I'm pediatrician, Dr. Corey Cross. Today, we'll be doing a deep dive into the vein of Galen malformations, which are the most common and severe neonatal blood anomalies of the human cerebral vasculature. And to discuss this topic, we have Dr. Jesse Jones and Dr. Andrew Hale. Dr. Hale is a neurosurgery resident at UAB and Children's of Alabama, and Dr. Jones is an assistant professor of neurosurgery at UAB and Children's of Alabama. They are both involved in some very exciting research. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us, Corey. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Dr. Hale, give us a broad overview of what a vein of Galen malformation is. A vein of Galen malformation is actually a misnomer. So it is a arteriovenous malformation in the brain that results from the persistence of a fetal vessel called the prosencephalic vein of Morkowski, which normally regresses to form the vein of Galen. And it results in very high pressure shunting of arterial blood into the venous system, into the brain. And it can cause a number of problems for neonates and infants, ranging from brain atrophy to epilepsy, to even in severe forms cause heart failure due to the the high pressure that the the heart has to press against. Got it. And so you said that basically this is uh, like a fetal remnant, like it didn't regress the way that it was supposed to. I would imagine that if you looked early in utero, you wouldn't know because it's supposed to be there, but later in utero, you might be able to detect that this is something that could happen. That's correct. So the vein of Galen malformation is thought to arise during embryologic weeks about 6 to 11. So that's even before most women know that they're pregnant. And so how do most women find out then that they have an infant with this? It ranges. So there's kind of three different age groups that this we can see patients be diagnosed with vein of Galen. So occasionally it will be in the, in the third trimester based on a screening ultrasound in the mother where they can actually see the malformation in the brain in those instances. So before the child is even born, it can be diagnosed. There are some patients that can be diagnosed right after birth, and that's usually due to you know, the observation of really prominent scalp veins or rapidly growing head circumference that prompts a neuroimaging study of some sort. Or there's patients that present a little bit later in infancy that can present with signs of increased intracranial pressure. Got it. And then, Dr. Jones, do we know why these malformations occur? No, unfortunately not. And that's one of the thrusts of our research is to understand some of the underpinnings, specifically genetically, that predispose to this malformation. As Dr. Hale mentioned, the prosencephalic vein is a normal embryologic structure, and why that does not regress in a small number of patients remains a mystery. It affects about 1 in 30,000 births. So we have other, I would say, like arterial things that don't regress or change sometimes as they're supposed to when we go from in utero to living outside the mother. So depending on when the patient presents, I would assume that there's different treatments. Can you tell us a little bit about what treatments are available for for infants who have these malformations? Yeah, when the baby's first born, they're obviously quite small. And so interventions are, are mainly directed towards avoiding anything like a surgery or a more invasive procedure. And they're mainly medically based to support the heart through diuresis 
in ionotropes if necessary, and also at reducing the pulmonary hypertension, which is an effect of the high flow. As the child ages, there's really not much that can be done to address the vein of Galen besides physically going in and starting to close off the shunting itself. Mm -hmm. Which obviously requires surgery and pretty complex surgery. Yeah, endovascular surgery. So minimally invasive, but still does involve going into the brain's arteries and venous structures to perform that treatment. So it's not taken lightly now. And you try to wait until the infant's a little bit older so that these structures are a little bit bigger, right? Ideally one year of age, correct. Got it. So these malformations are really rare. How did you both become so passionate about this work? Well, I think Andy has a, a strong background in genetics and One thing that was developing kind of contemporaneously with Andy joining UAB as a resident and my own practice getting busier with the vein of Galen's was a concept in our field involving taking samples from the vasculature, meaning the endothelial cells that line the vasculature, being able to take those samples in a very minimally invasive manner, just basically as we're doing endovascular procedures and angiography, we can collect these cells and through new techniques uh, and genetics can analyze their contents. And so Andy's really brought this to UAB at a time when we've gotten just busier and busier with vein of Galen. So what you're talking about is an endoluminal biopsy, correct? Yeah, so this has really been a technique that was developed by Dan Cook at UCSF and the large and multidisciplinary team there. And it's really based on the the concept that when you introduce this metal coil into the vein of Galen, oftentimes that metal coil doesn't sit correctly or seat correctly where you want it to. And so before it's fully deployed, you can pull that coil out. For the longest time, and still at many places, these coils are just discarded. But what Dr. Cook's group developed was a way to actually isolate cells from the coil because that coil directly comes in contact with the endothelium of the malformation itself. And so we hypothesize that if you can analyze those cells specifically at the point of disease, that will enable us to understand a little bit more about the molecular biology and the genetics of vein of Galen malformation. And so we were the first to apply endothelial tissue sampling to vein of Galen malformation, but it's been applied more broadly in the adult intracranial uh, arteriovenous malformation literature. So that's interesting because one would think perhaps that when you swab the inside of a cheek, since the DNA is the same, you'd be getting the same DNA whether you swab the inside of the cheek or the inside of the lumen of the malformation, but that's not correct. Can you explain that for us? The idea is that you can develop a somatic mutation in a single cell that leads to a clonal expansion of that cell and in transformation to malignancy. And that is widely thought to be how a number of different tumors, both in the brain and outside the brain, develop. And I guess it also depends when that somatic mutation occurs, right, as to how many cells are affected? Or do you only use the term somatic mutation once like the infant is born? If it's a mutation that occurs while it's still like a a zygote and going on from that process, is it called something else or is it still called a somatic mutation? 
In that case, it would still be called a somatic mutation. But at this point, at least for being able to sample and be able to identify that in a patient, we have not been able to do that since that's you know so early on in development. Got it. That's really exciting. I mean, it's super interesting that we're able to sort of do this type of work and figure out the genetics and then hopefully be able to f- use that to find treatments and ways to to help these patients. Can you tell us a little bit about the clinical relevancy of somatic mutations? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So in neuro-oncology or, or brain tumors, the entire treatment paradigm is based on our ability to sample that tumor. And that involves histopathology analysis, that involves genetic analysis, that involves a number of molecular approaches to understand really on an individual patient level what their tumor is doing. There are no current approaches that can be applied in that kind of personalized approach to cerebrovascular biology. This technique of applying endothelial tissue sampling to understand vein of Galen malformation, I think can be more broadly applied to other cerebrovascular conditions where it is safe to undertake endothelial tissue sampling. That makes sense. And that's really exciting because we're at this time period where we have the tools, both genetically and then also in the surgeries, to be able to put these two things together and really propel treatment and understanding forward. So I understand that you've developed a VOGM genetics research consortium. Tell us a little bit about the research you're doing and how you're working with other countries and hospitals to work with VOGM genetics. So we've been very fortunate to have received some grant funding from a number of nonprofit organizations, as well as the Children's of Alabama through Dr. Jones Award through the the Call Pediatric Research Institute. And this has really enabled us to try to expand these studies beyond the cohort of patients we follow here. But in genetics, what's important is accruing a large sample size. And so because even at a busy center like Children's of Alabama, we are only actively following and treating maybe three to four patients a year. Whereas if you look at trying to understand and apply what you know about a disease based on that small of a population, that may be problematic. So we've been fortunate to partner with a number of the world's leading pediatric centers that also treat vein of Galen malformation to exchange data and exchange ideas for understanding the genetic and mechanistic basis of the disease. And is this the VOGM Genetics Research Consortium that you're talking about? Yes, that's correct. When did this start? How long have you guys been a part of it? It's really grown organically. I think that it was a discussion from the time that we first started the project and through Dr. Jones' connections where he trained at the University of California, Los Angeles, and his mentors there to previous institutions that I had been at, including Vanderbilt, which is close up the road in Nashville, and our colleagues across the country. It's something that really just developed pretty organically into something that I think we're both very proud of. That's wonderful. So sum up a take-home message for our listeners today, Dr. Jones. Yeah, I think understanding the importance of acquiring this Genetic information is paramount. Without the data, we can't learn, first of all, why the disease occurs in the first place, like you first asked us. And 
looking in the future, how can we develop therapies to treat these patients better? And I think that's going to eventually resolve around drug therapies, therapies that don't require a surgery or an intervention. And the key to developing these therapies is through genetics. And so the more samples that we can get, the faster that's going to occur. Absolutely. And Dr. Hill, is there anything else you'd like to share? I would like to say, you know, just thank you very much for inviting us on here. And we hope that the listeners of this podcast were able to learn a little bit about vein of Galen malformation and about, you know, the work that we're trying to do to expand the use of genetic information in pediatric neurosurgery. This has been a great discussion. I know I've learned a ton. It's super exciting what you guys are working on and what it means for the future for us to be able to do this type of research and this type of genetics. Thank you for sharing your expertise and joining us today. For more information or to refer patients to Children's of Alabama, visit childrensal.org. That concludes this episode of Children's of Alabama PedsCast. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the entire podcast library for other topics that might be of interest to you. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of PedsCast. I'm your host, Dr. Corey Cross.